So what did Zechariah see? Verse 1, he's in vision. Then the angel showed me Yeshua, some versions say Joshua, the high priest. He was standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Yeshua and his people. Now, I want to show you something. I'm going to ask you, John Mo, to come forward. John Mo is Yeshua, or, or who, what's his name in English? Joshua. Who is, now, can I be a little bit uh, interactive here? Who is Joshua? He's the high priest of Israel. On one side, he has Daniel, my stepson, you can be Satan. (laughs) I actually love him. And on the other side, Praveen, you can be Jesus or or, or the angel of the Lord. Now, who is the angel of the Lord? I've just given it away. Who is he? He's Jesus. So, and who is Joshua? He's a high priest, but who does he really represent? Us. Because on one side of Joshua is Jesus, and who's who, not, sorry, Daniel, I should have chosen someone else. I hope, I hope this doesn't hurt you psychologically for the rest of your life. <laughs> on the other side, we've got Satan. Now, isn't that you? Huh? Isn't that you? On one side, you've got Jesus talking to you. On the other side, you've got Satan. And the Bible says Satan is the accuser of the brethren. You can sit down, but I'm going to call you up again in just a second. Verse 2. And the Lord said, Satan. So this is the angel of the Lord. And in the scripture, the term angel of the Lord always represents who? Angels just word for messenger. Jesus, the messenger of the Lord. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. And the Lord Jesus said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Who's Satan accusing? Us. And what's Jesus doing? He's saying, what's he doing? He's saying, Satan, I reject your accusations. I went to visit Silverwater Jail a few years ago to see a guy by the name, I can't remember his name, so I'm using this name. It was just a common name, Peter Jones. I think there's something inside of us all that longs for the love that only Jesus can give us. This love that's unconditional, this love that will come to us wherever we are, whatever we've done. There's something in us that needs it. As I went to the, to the office and I said, I want to see Peter Jones, I think he was in for some... He was uh, uh, maybe an Adventist or an ex-Adventist. I'm not sure. It was a long time ago why I was even going to Silverwater Jail. But it was to visit this guy. What he was, I was going for, I don't know. But I said, I'm here to visit Peter Jones. They said, OK. And they, they pat you down and they take you through security. And eventually I ended up in a little room and in came Peter Jones. Well, I'm a pastor. It would be one of the only few prison visits I've ever done because it's not easy to get into the prisons here in Australia. And I'm in there and I'm talking to Peter Jones. I didn't know really what to say, so I just started to talk to him about Jesus. And as I'm talking to him about Jesus, I could see this guy's eyes light up. He's a petty theft, thief. He's in there doing time, but his eyes lit up. 
And he began to communicate back to me. And I began to sense and feel this man's need for Jesus. You know, we'd been talking maybe 25 minutes. And the guard came in. And he said, you've got the wrong Peter Jones. (laughs) It turned out that this Peter Jones was in for multiple murders. And he hadn't requested at all a visit from a pastor. But when the pastor turned up and the pastor began to talk, which I found out later, to this hardened criminal, I was amazed as I thought back on it as he began to respond to the Jesus I was talking about. Amen? Amen. There is something in almost inborn and created in all of us that need, and sometimes we recognise it, respond to it and call for it. Other times we don't, but it's there. I've spoken sometimes to the most hardened atheists, evolutionists. They are hard people a lot of the time, especially if they have been Christians and especially if they have once been Adventists. They they seem to turn hard against God and, and hard against the church. But even in their hearts at times and they'll deny it and they'll rail against me for saying it and, and they'll stand up and say, it's not so, Pastor. But I have seen with my own eyes, even from those hardened people against Christ, a softening at times to the Saviour who gently comes and saves. We need him, don't we? We need him. From the petty thief to the hardened criminal... It doesn't matter what your sins are, how light you think they are or how heavy they are. We need him. And Jesus rebukes Satan. He looks at you and he says, this man, this woman, this is a child of mine. And they are a, they are, they are a child who I'm going to snatch from the fire if they'll allow me. Verse 3. Joshua was standing there filthy before the angel. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood before the angel. Now, Joshua, and you're in a good colour today, black. His clothing, as Jesus stands before you and me, and he looks at Joshua, or it can be Lloyd here, or it can be Hannah or Liska, it can be Daniel, it can be Achille, it doesn't matter. When Jesus looks at us, the clothes we're wearing, our character, who we are, is what? Huh? What is the filthy clothes that Joshua's got on? What is it? Sin. Well, well, yes, it is. But I want to show you something. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 64, verse 6. Isaiah in vision. He lived 100, 150 years or more before, well, 250, 300 years before Zechariah. Isaiah says... Talking about the same subject, actually. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display, watch this, our what? Our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us like the, away like the wind. So I'm going to ask you again, what are these filthy rags? Sin and... Our righteousness, it's, it's, it's our bad deeds, it's our good deeds, it's, oh, give you a hug, man. 
It's who we are, amen? And it's, it's a tough truth. Jesus loves you. But when it comes to getting to heaven, neither your bad deeds, of course, and that makes sense, or your, and this is where it's quite challenging, or your good deeds are good enough to get you to heaven. Did you hear me? Claire is into good deeds. She's got us, one of the things she's going to share for the church this afternoon is you've got us going door knocking. And what's this thing called? Yes, we care. Yes, we care. <sighs> I'm not sure the pastor does care enough to go door knocking. <laughs> I hate door knocking. <laughs> and when Claire drags me out, you know, when we have trouble, um, I come from a farm. And when we have a rogue bull, not that I'm a rogue bull, but when we have trouble with them, you, you, you know how to, how to tame a rogue bull? You put a nose in his ring. Ring in his nose. How would you put a nose in a That doesn't work, does it? You put a ring in his nose because it's very sensitive. And once you've got a ring in his I've done it. We had a, a, a mad Jersey bull when I was at college. I never had a lot to do with this bull, but I noticed he had a, a ring in his nose. Did I get that right? Yes. <laughs> and the farmer was able to lead this bull around like a little calf with this ring in his nose. Claire, I think you're almost going to have to put a ring in my nose to get me to go door knocking. How many else love door how, who, who else loves door knocking here? Look, look, Claire, look at the support you've got. <laughs> who, <laughs> who likes door knocking? Who doesn't like door knocking? Hallelujah, I'm amongst friends. So when I go door knocking, if anything's going to get you to heaven, surely door knocking's going to do it. Because it's hard work. It's rewarding work, Claire tells me. But it's very hard. But you know what? Door knocking won't get you to heaven. Uh, is it a good deed? Yes. Yeah, it is. In fact, yes, we care is one of the most powerful ways we have to enter the community. When Claire shares it to you, you'll realise how powerful it is and, and Claire will tell you how easy it is and we believe you that it is, Claire. <laughs> and I'm going to come. You won't have to put a, a ring in my nose. I'm going to come. Um, I think of... Well, who do you think... Just stand there for a second, bro. Who do you think in the last 50, 100 years is the most righteous man or woman to live? John Howard? <laughs> Paul Keating? Uh, who do you think is the most... Who do you think? Uh, let, yeah. Desmond Ford. Desmond Ford, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do that subject soon. This man says Desmond Ford, hallelujah, don't know him. Who else do you think is the most righteous man to live? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa. Well, yeah, Mother Teresa. She, is, is she a saint? A living, well, she's not alive now, but was she a living saint? Well, well look, she's a Roman Catholic who gave her life to God and went from Albania to the slums of India where, for better or for worse, she helped people. Amen? She could have had a much easier life. If ever there's someone who should be in heaven, it's got to be Mother Teresa. Now, some of you might disagree with me, but I, I think that's the truth. If you're going to get to heaven by being doing good work, she's got to be there. Amen? But go and read her diaries 
she was plagued. She was unsure right to her death. This beautiful woman who gave her heart to God and worked tirelessly for him. Make no mistake, Roman Catholic, she went there for God. She didn't go there for the Pope. She didn't go there for herself, that's for sure. She went there for God and she did that work for God, but she did not understand this message. And you go and read her diaries, you go and read, they're online, and you can see as doubt plagues her on whether God loves her and whether she'll be saved. Why? Because even she recognises that your good works will not get you to heaven. And I'm going to tell you, Adventist people, and you need to hear me this. You need to hear, hear, hear this as I, I share this with you. You cannot get to heaven by being good, by being good, by being perfect, by being sinless. You will never get there. Do you get that? It pains me as a pastor. I don't know, Bill, whether you come across this, but these people who are constantly preaching, good people, their message is seductive and they're constantly preaching and teaching, hey, when Christ has a sinless generation without sin, he will come. Have you heard that? Well, he's never coming if that's the truth. Because we are all born sinners with weaknesses and no matter what we do, we will never be sinless. We need a saviour. You will never be sinless. And I've been in the work long enough, 25 years I've been a pastor. And I've seen enough people through the years fall on the rocks drive their ships onto the rocks of sinless perfection because if you're relying on that, your sinless perfection to get you to heaven, you'll never get there. Now we'll talk about the sanctuary for a moment. One of the problems we've had in the past, sit down there just for a moment, Joshua. One of the problems we've had in the past, and some of you may be old enough to have heard this, is that we have preached and we have taught that, hey, when... The judgment comes. You will stand there before God in the holy place and you will answer for every word and deed that you've ever said. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Well, if you are standing in the holy place, by the way, a place in Israel that no one could go but the high priest. Who is the high priest? Jesus Christ. Just remember that. But if you're standing in the holy place and you are judged on your righteous and your unrighteous works, you're not going to heaven. I hope and pray you get that. You're not going to heaven. Do you understand that? Do you understand it? Don't, don't, don't rely on your good works on your life to get you to heaven. Now, I'm not up here saying good works don't matter. And if you go out here and say that, that's not true. I'm just saying good works will not get you to heaven. So what will? Watch this. This is the power of the gospel. This is what shook Martin Luther up so much. He went out and he nailed 95 theses to the door in Wittenberg there of the church and started the Protestant Reformation. It's this message that gave men and women the courage to go to the stake rather than give it up. And it's this message that I'm about to show you right now that will see you through to the second coming with faith and hope and assurance that Jesus has saved you. Did you know that you should be sure that Jesus has saved you? Did you know that? What did Paul say? I know whom I have believed. What did he say? I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. 
Paul knew he was saved and so should you and this is why. Verse 4. So the angel, Jesus, said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken. So the Lord says, Jesus says, take off. I'm not going to take your clothes off. Don't worry, brother. (laughs) But take off your filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, so turning to us, he then says, see, I've taken away your sins. And now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said they should place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and they dressed him in new clothes from head to foot while the angel of the Lord stood by. Let me show you what happened. Where's that sheet? There's a white sheet here somewhere. Jesus. Redresses. I brought a fitted sheet. That doesn't really work, does it? (laughs) The man. So that he is... And I don't... Let's put a turban on his head. (laughs) Now, what's Jesus redressed him in? White clothes. What do these white clothes represent? Jesus. Righteousness. Now now listen carefully because this is the gospel. So when Joshua is dressed in the new clothes, I, I know they're not going to like me doing this with the TV, but too bad. Is he perfect? Is he perfect? He is sinless. And it is Christ's character, his perfection, his sinlessness. Do you get it? Now let let me take this further. Is he perfect in his... Well, is he a sinner? Has he still got weaknesses? Yes. Is he still falling down sometimes? Yes. I had a, a mate and he said I can tell this story. He's, I won't give his real name, but we'll call him um, John. He's a young man. He, he comes to me as a very interesting background. And he, he wants to do Bible studies and we do the Bible studies and we get into it. I share this message with him. He's converted He has on the robe of Christ righteousness, but he had a particularly ugly sin that he was dealing with, a sin that many men, in fact, I think probably all of us, if we're honest, men, deal with pornography. And um, if a man tells you that at no stage or another, if he tells you that he's never had to deal with pornography, well, he's either dead or there's something seriously wrong with him. Because God has created us in such a way that Pornography for men, and I, I can't speak for women, I think it's becoming more prevalent in our culture now, but for men has a very strong um, um, attraction to us. And so every man, am I right, man? Yeah. Are you prepared to be honest on this? Yeah. Every man struggles with it at some stage or another in his life. Some men never get rid of it. It's, it's a monster in their lives that destroys marriages and destroys their lives and careers and they end up dying um, smothered by this monster. 
He has a problem with pornography. So we, we went through the Bible study on how to overcome sin and, and etc., etc. Every morning he gets on his knees and he was having an experience with God. He was asking the Lord into his heart. This white robe was on him. When God sees him, does he see sinlessness, perfection? Yeah, he does. But this sin of pornography was hard for him to overcome. And he would fall. And to start off with, he was falling three, four, five times a week. Here's my question. When he fell, did Jesus come along and and rip that robe off him? Sorry, I don't want to hurt you, bro. (laughs) Did he? No or yes? So as he was struggling with pornography, was he covered? Yes, yes. yes or no? Yes. As long as you are in an ongoing fiery relationship with Christ, a relationship that involves genuine conversion, as long as you are responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit, In your failures and in your magnificent victories, you are covered by the blood of Christ. Amen? And you know what happened to him? He was falling four and five times a week. Within three to four months, he was falling two and three times a week. And by the end, it took him a year. But after an entire year, through the power of Christ, he gained victory over that sin. It had taken a long time. Amen? But he had gained victory over that sin. And if you go and talk to him to now, to him today, he's actually, this has gone from being one of his weaknesses to one of his strengths. He's still a young man and he is helping other young men. And there are plenty of them out there caught in this sin. And he's saying, hey, I got out of it. This is how I got out of it. And he's saying and he's sharing with them. But while I was getting out of it, I was covered by the righteousness of Christ. I was saved. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Did I cover his face? <laughs> Well, I really do believe in the message. You've got to be covered completely. (laughs) And that's why in Isaiah 61.10, Isaiah says, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God. He's overwhelmed and so am I. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation. He's draped me in the robe... (coughs) He's draped me in the robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed... For a wedding. It's a beautiful story. And then Jesus leaves in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 6. He leaves us. So Jesus comes down. He takes us if we ask him. Sinner that we are, doesn't matter what the sin is. He takes us, he forgives us, he takes away our sin and replaces it with his righteousness. In God's eyes, we are perfect. That's, that's how you're going to stand in the sanctuary, brother, through Christ. You won't be there. Christ will be there. This is the great message of Adventism. The sanctuary message is not about you. It's about Christ saving you. Amen? Amen. He did the work on the cross. The blood was shed there. The salvation was gained there. All he does in the sanctuary is apply the blood in the judgment so that when your name comes up, Christ steps in. 
in your place. You are not there. And he pleads, my blood, my blood, it has been shed. I've been to the cross. I paid the price for their sins. Look at him. And the father peers down to the earth and he sees you covered in the righteousness of Christ. Jesus says, He's sinless. She's sinless. They're perfect. And God the Father says, and He's on your side, welcome into the kingdom through Jesus' righteousness alone. We are saved. Let me say this again. We are saved by Jesus' righteousness alone. There's nothing you can do for your salvation except to say, Jesus Come into my heart and be my saviour. That's all you can do. Jesus does the work. You are saved alone by him. Now I close with this and I think it's important. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 6. Can someone take off there you are in overtime? Thank you. (laughs) Then the angel of the Lord very solemnly said to Joshua, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Now he says, I've saved you. Now this is what he says. If you're going to follow my ways and carefully serve me, then you'll be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I'll let you walk among those who stand here. God says, now I've done this for you. Go out and live for me. It's not going to save you. Doing the law is not going to save you. It's just evidence and proof of whose side you're on. Go out and live for me. And I I would be amiss you can sit down in your white clothing. (laughs) This is what Jesus says. He says, go and live for me so that when people look at you, they see me. Go and become an overcomer. Overcoming won't save you. It's proof that you are saved. Go and follow my law. Follow my law will not save you. It's proof. It's just evidence of what I've already done in you. But here's the deal. You can go through that experience. You can be born. You you, you can have this white robe put around you. And I've seen plenty of people go through that experience. And then they go on losers. And it's a tragedy. Losers. Once you've got that white robe around you, be born again. When he puts that white robe around you, you are born again. Stay that way. Pray every morning. Here's the secret, and I'm finishing. Pray every morning, Jesus, send the Holy Spirit to baptise me. May I become possessed of the Holy Spirit. I want to be born again. Pray that prayer and the Holy Spirit, the Pentecostal Holy Spirit comes down inside of you and you are born again daily. And it's having the Holy Spirit inside of you with that robe around you that gives you the strength and gives you the wisdom to walk through life victorious. Do you get what I'm saying? Don't just leave it at the robe. The robe will save you. But if you're going to walk with Jesus, be born Again, of the Holy Spirit. And I keep praying, I've shared this with you and I've got us close, but I keep praying, music team come up. 
I keep praying over and over in my life. In the morning when I wake up, through the day as I walk with the Lord, I keep praying to the Lord, Holy Spirit, come down, rebirth me, possess me. I want to be your man. I pray it every time I think it, sometimes six, seven, a dozen times a day, not because the Lord doesn't hear it, but I need to remind myself that the Holy Spirit is there. He's there with full power. He's possessed me and he's going to take me through. 